Queer Brood acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge Elders past and present, as well as the owners of the land you're hearing us from. Sovereignty was never ceded. Recording in progress. Welcome to Queer Brood, a show about queer families, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Anya Saravanan. Sham and Hannah are parents to beautiful baby Jaya. Sham and Hannah are going to share their experience to parenthood with us today. We discussed what factors they took into consideration while deciding if they wanted to have a child, how they worked together as a couple to prepare for this journey, and how they navigated issues such as race, identity, and gender. Shamani also discusses their transition journey and what it means to be a non-binary parent, and Hannah talks to us about birth trauma and shares some advice for fellow queer people considering having a child. Later on in the episode, we will hear a conversation between Sham and Anya. Anya is a fun uncle or funkle to baby Jaya. They talk about their friendship over the years and the importance of role models in chosen families. I'm Shamini uh, and I use he and their pronouns. And I'm Hannah and I use uh, she, her pronouns. And we have a beautiful baby together, Jaya, who is 14 months old now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we've been together for a long time. Oh, it's our 10-year anniversary really soon, actually. Congratulations. We always forget to celebrate, but this year we should. This year we're going, yeah, we're we're rewarding ourselves with two days off from the baby, which is the most time we will have ever (laughs) away from him. Um, And going down to Margaret River anniversary. Beautiful. Yeah. Tell me about how you met. Well, uh, I first met Hannah. She walked into my linguistics tutorial uh, at uni, and I knew I loved her from that moment. <laughs> I don't believe in love at first sight. <laughs> but Shamini maintains they're in love with me from um, that moment. Yeah. Um, I certainly clocked Shamini <laughs> in the tutorial. And yeah, we, we bumped into each other in some linguistics things, and then inevitably at the queer room, the queer department at UWA. And yeah, we hung out a lot. We had a relationship and then a short relationship and broke up and then got back together a year, a later. year or two after that. And then we've been together ever since. Yeah. It's been, yeah, 10 years now. It's really gay. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And tell me about being queer or coming out in WA which I imagine would not have been super easy, and also your relationship to family and your queerness. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I feel like for me it's been a pretty straightforward thing. It's what? <laughs> you gave me a look. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, it's, it's always been pretty straightforward and un- uncomplicated thing for me, which has been a blessing because... That's not often the story, but I had a super supportive family and I took a while to actually 
pluck up the courage to come out to them, even though I knew it was going to be totally fine. It, it was almost like I just wanted my own little secret for a while while I worked out who I was. And my mom actually ended up being like one of those moms that's like a mom of the queers, mm. you know, like they'd bring partners over and always they'd fall in love with my mom. When I first stayed over um, the next morning, she made us croissants and scrambled eggs. And my mum is a chef and she, also is a bit of a feeder. And she was so, like, let me feed all your partners. Like, yeah, and I was just I, like, oh my <laughs> God, like, who expects that? Mm. Like, whereas I never brought anyone home, of course. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, I mean, my, I grew up in Singapore where there are a few queer people in my extended family, but I didn't know about them until probably like five years ago. <laughs> You know, growing up, like obviously there's no there's no queer representation, and I think now is a different story. But yeah, and moving here, moving to Perth with my family, who are like um, who are Singaporean Tamil. You know, they didn't know much about stuff. I mean, I'm an only child, so and they're pretty obsessed with me. So I was like, you know what, probably be okay, but you never know. And when I was at uni and I became a queer, also I was like, well. <laughs> can't really like this anymore so uh yeah but I was like hey mom would you be proud of me if you knew that if I you know told you that I was you know on the guild council at university and she was like well of course amazing and I was like would you still be proud of me if I told you that I was a queer officer on the student council and she was like what's that <laughs> Yeah, and like eventually once I, you know, once we talked about it, she was kind of like, oh, I've read about this in Women's Weekly, yeah. That's pretty progressive of Women's Weekly. <laughs> well, yeah, for the time it was like, what, 2006 or something, yeah, mm. so it wasn't too bad, and I was like, that's great, that's one thing those magazines are doing is educating my mother. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Women's Weekly. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but she was kind of like, don't tell your dad, <laughs> and I think he had a longer road with it but like you know within a couple of years he was at fair day like my mum was going to my drag king gigs and yeah like they were they were they're really great yeah but I mean I remember just telling Hannah this the other day like when I was when I was at uni and you know thinking about my future like you know I thought about having a partner um and being in a queer relationship but in my head even then like I was kind of like oh but I couldn't possibly have kids yeah, at the time I was kind of like, oh, it's not, it's not right for queers to have kids, you know, like it's children deserve a mother and a father and I'd be doing a disservice to that child and that's what everyone around me thinks and that's what I think. Charlie was raised Catholic. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's important sure. to mention in relation the to guilt. that. I always knew that I wanted to have kids. Um, like from the time I was very, very tiny, that was just something that I knew I wanted to do. But... I could never picture anyone else involved. Probably, even when I was very small and I didn't actually know that I was queer yet, I just couldn't imagine there being like a husband or a father involved in that. So it was just me as a single mum in my mind. <laughs> like that's what I thought my future held because, you know, no queer representation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so I always knew that I wanted kids, but. I wasn't sure if we were going to have kids together, even though we'd been together for a long time, because because you weren't 100% there. I can't remember how long ago we started talking about are we going to do this or not, Yeah. and probably. if we do, how. 
When when you can you start talking about that? Twenty seventeen. Yeah. 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 Five years ago. Yeah. Well, well, but we needed to start talking about it because we knew that we weren't exactly on the same page, Mm. and we did actually go and have a bit of couples therapy to help us make the decision. Yeah. And work out like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of what I was going like heading towards. Well, I mean, yeah. I feel like it's good information for people because it can. So many people have trouble making that decision in their not just for themselves, but also as a couple. A, do I want to be a parent at all? And B, do I want a parent together with this person? Yeah, and in in that session, like our therapist was kind of like, okay, so you're both you know at different places, and you're not really sure. What was your upbringing like? What What is your life with your parents like? You know, all that sort of stuff. And we were both like, ah. It was a bit of an aha moment because I, I think I answered first and I was like, my childhood was idyllic and the best time of my life and I have a wonderful relationship with my family. Like there's a few little niggly things, but I love my parents to bits and cherish them and they cherish me. And, and <laughs> Charlie's I, response was. Well, I was like, well, my parents, you know, accept my queerness and, you know, whatever, like. We, we have a, a tricky relationship because for the longest time, like, you know, I've, I've been caring for them. They have, they have lots of various health and financial issues and it's a really complicated carer's relationship. Um, that started when you were a teenager. That really. started quite young for me. And, yeah, thinking about adding another dependent <laughs> to my life was really the... The real problem there for me. I mean, the common theme that all the people I've talked to who are queer and have kids is that it's so intentional because it doesn't happen by chance. Like, there's so much planning yeah. for a baby to happen, and yeah. in between all of that, you have all these big existential questions about why are we having kids? What's the purpose? There's just so much time to think about all these things that somehow the decision becomes more complicated in a way. Yeah, yeah, I. Definitely, that's a big theme that I hear in other queer couples that are thinking about this stuff. And I know for me, I also spent a long time thinking about, you know, is it right to bring a child into the world right now when we're starting to see so many of the effects of climate change? Like our world is changing dramatically. What's it going to look like in 20 years when my kid is 20 years old? But... You know, at the same time, all of the pets were busy having pandemic babies. You know, there's a baby boom going on. So, you know, things like that can either make people think, no, I don't want to have kids, or it can make them think, "Uh, actually, it's really important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what changed for you? When did you decide this is what I want to do? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that session was, that therapy session was um, probably key. (laughs) And once we worked that out we were like right well the barriers and kids <laughs> barriers you know all these issues with my parents so let's mm-hmm. go do that and weirdly 2020 was the year that we sorted all of that out um even though like you know the hard border was up in yeah, WA you managed to go back to I managed to slip <laughs> into before that was fully up um and Stayed there, worked remotely because that was possible. Um, it was actually some sort of miracle. Yeah, we managed to sell their old house, buy a new house, <laughs> set them up. Um, Which was no mean feat. Oh, my goodness. It no, was a lot of work. Not at all. Um, and set them up with, you know, managed care. And 
have helped. And yeah, anyway, so did a lot of work. We both did a lot of work. Yeah, I kind of realized, um, I mean, I wasn't super passionate about having a child, but I was kind of like, there's no, like, I don't mind. And I think, uh, well, we did, we did up a, a pros and cons list. And of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> and I was like, like all the, all the pros were, like, how I wrote down, were kind of like, you'll get to play with this kid. Like you get to buy toys and like, you know, go do parkour with them. I was them. trying to sell it to Sharmini. Mm. Oh, that worked. I was like, oh, that does sound fun. And the actual process of getting a child, yeah. <laughs> you know, like sperm selection and all of that. I know that was important to you because you're both from different cultural backgrounds and you want your culture to be reflected. And how was that? What was the process like? It was slow. Well, we were slow about it. I think we found someone, sort of met with two people, kind of put the call out on, you know, social media or whatever, and um, to our queer networks and just kind of chatted to people and kind of immediately heard back from uh, people who kind of like, I know someone, they might be interested sort of thing. Um, and we met two different people. One of them uh, had a, a different background than me. It was kind of, I think, um, Egyptian background, Egyptian Muslim background. And one, um, yeah, had a pretty similar background to me, like um, South Asian, Malaysian, yeah. And I was kind of like, there's a lot of similarities here. Both were nice, but I think we connected more with yeah. the person who had a closer background to me. Not the, just because of the closer background, but like... The, the Yeah, I mean, the interview process, I think, was quite important for us in mm. in our decision-making. So I was really glad in the end, that we ended up going with a known donor rather than an unknown donor. Yeah. I mean, in, in some ways, we didn't have a lot of choice about that because we knew that we wanted someone, ideally, of, of Indian background, and you just can't get that through sperm banks. Like, that's not a thing. There's sperm. such a shortage of sperm in Victoria yeah. in particular, but also in Australia, because in Australia, you can't be paid to donate sperm. So there's... You can, you can only volunteer to give sperm to a sperm bank. So <laughs> that's that baby banging on a door. So that means, like, there's just not a lot of options mm. um, available. Um, and what is there is very wide. Very wide. And you obviously you don't get a lot of information about the donors either, whereas places like the US where people do get paid to donate sperm, there's a lot more variety on offer mm-hmm. um, and people also give a lot more information about themselves depending on the clinic or whatever the services where they're donated um, and people will actually sometimes import sperm from the US to Australia because of that fact. Um, yeah, Which is really expensive, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it costs something like $400 a pop. Yeah, definitely. I guess the underlying fact of this is that I was never going to be pregnant. <laughs> um, that probably would have messed with my dysphoria too much. But um, so it was always going to be Hannah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that's just what we needed to do. I mean, once once we actually met them, like we took a long time to kind of get to know our donor and like a lot of back and forth, just kind of building that trust. I think we took like two years actually. <laughs> we probably didn't need to, but we just did. <laughs> And he was very gracious through that process as yeah, well. Yeah, um, You know, we went out for dinner and lunch and stuff every now and then just to touch base and talk about where we were at in the process because there were things we had to do like, um, you know, 
medical checks and stuff and not genetic screening but like you know like pre-pregnancy checkups and stuff like that and we wanted him to go away and do some things like that as well for us so that we could be sure that it was the right match. Yeah something. so so when we when we went to do like draw up our contract and had a legal consult they suggested like as part of the process go and do a couple of counseling sessions with a fertility counselor because that's what would happen at a clinic if you were going to have IVF or IUI fertility treatments um, and it's just part of them documenting everyone's thoughts and feelings about the arrangement before you go into it and working out any issues so so that there's like a medical record of like how you were all thinking and feeling about this going into it yeah what um, the plan was what the plan was what your what your plans were around the relationship between the child and the donor into the future things like that yeah, so yeah. so through seeing that counsellor, she was actually really reassuring about, she was like, yeah, you guys are very risk-averse. I'm like, yes, we are very risk-averse people, <laughs> no shit, two megavirgos. Um, but she was like, well, have you thought about all the benefits of a known donor relationship? Like, what are the pros? Mm. And we'd never really considered that. Mm. Um, and she was like, well, you know, you have the flexibility to decide how much contact, you know, your child has an opportunity to know their donor, which so many children conceived in this way don't 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 get to have that relationship Mm -hmm. and it leaves a big mark for them a lot of the time in their life they don't not always not always but but often there's that question for people but i don't know this other person yeah yeah Yeah. and it was just nice to have it finally framed in that way of like have you considered the strengths Mm. actually rather than just the risks and it was like oh including the strengths of your child's connection to culture yeah yeah, and that was really important to me. I was just like, you know, growing up in this country, you, you know, you're constantly asked where you're from. You're constantly asked to to display your identity, and and you know, even if it's not white people asking you that, you you know, it's it's ingrained as well of like, um, it's it's a it's an act of resistance to you know the kind of dominant racist narrative. Um, and I was like, how is this child, who isn't related to me, but I'm raising in my culture going to you know like if freak out later in life when they're like oh but I'm not actually related to you and therefore I don't even know my culture and you know like how is this going to impact them like I was going down this spiral (laughs) um I would say and I think yeah like I mean eventually I think I just I don't know I must have hit a point where I was kind of like I think comfortable in you know like our donors like I think the more I met our donor the more I was like and we have a similar culture, but also it's all fine. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I think you said, like, you know, whatever culture <laughs> you give this child is is enough. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and they're lucky to have you. I think this is also another theme that I keep hearing from people the unknown and there's so much like love and care in that question because you want your child to have a good time and to be respected and valued and you know especially when a child like physically looks different you Mm. know there's going to be certain questions and yeah you know and that's unavoidable and you want Mm -hmm. the child to face it but I think also so much of it is so out of our control right like (laughs) you know yeah it will happen I think just remembering Govin and, and Adrian's response to 
you know, being an interracial gay couple and, mm. and knowing that maybe their kid would get bullied for it. Yeah. And all you can do is equip the child with the skills to fight back. Yeah. And be proud of who they are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sham, you recently came out. Ah, yes. Again, congratulations. Yeah. Can you tell me more about... Yes. So, I... Recently, I guess, came out as trans, even though technically... You've been trans the whole time, yeah. <laughs> I have been trans the whole time, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I've been using they, them pronouns for a very long time, but like a decade or more. But I think recently, well, I knew I you know, needed top surgery and stuff for a long time. And suddenly when you start affirming medically, people start to see you as more trans. And also then you have to kind of come out as trans if you want to fundraise <laughs> any money for that, which obviously I, yeah, like I had to. It's one of those things like, like the, you know, sorting out my parents and before we had a kid, like affirming a bunch of gender stuff was also one of those things I hadn't been able to do until I'd sorted out my parents. You know, I hadn't really been able to think about how I was going to get that money when, you know, we just dealing with my my parents' financial stuff and, and my financial stuff. So, you know, when you start thinking about having a kid and I was like, well, I'm going to be dad to that kid. There's no way around that. And, you know, I identify as non-binary, but, you know, that's the parental identity. Anyway, like, everything just kind of started happening. <laughs> After we got pregnant. Well, yeah, like, it was all kind of in the same time period. So I think, I think parenting and, like, making that decision to, to parent kind of makes everything else kind of go, well, like, I need to sort out my gender and I need to sort out all these other things so we're ready. Like, it's kind of like it's nesting. Of, yeah, it's like but life for trans emergency. People. <laughs> yeah. It's... Why was it so important to get that sorted out before Jaya was here? I mean, I, I mean, from a practical standpoint, it's like, you know, parenting is going to be so intense and I've wanted to have this for myself for so long. And, you know, you get to that point, you know, if you're waiting, like, ten years you've been thinking about top surgery or like any any affirmation for 10 years you get to a point where you're just like right well I need to do this now before I'm you kind of swept away in parenting and we were like okay let's let's do that anyway so I was having surgery and it was actually like a really intense timeline of like you know trying to sort all of that out you know referrals and psych assessments and blah blah to mm. like just get the all the gatekeeping you have to go through before you can get all the, surgery yeah all the gatekeeping and then I finally had a surgery date and it was postponed twice by lockdowns um which was obviously uh really horrible um and came so close to and Hannah was pregnant this entire time and it you know got really close to I was like if, I, if it doesn't happen this time it'll be too late I'm not gonna be able to recover in time to like hold my child mm. like and be an on the ground parent from day one it was also a matter of who's gonna care for you in your recovery if i'm with a newborn or like heavily heavily pregnant what are we gonna do to look after you because we're still going through some lockdown stuff and yeah 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 so it's very scary. it was it was very tense and scary and it happened and it was you know another 
mini miracle the last few years have been really intense but also really amazing in lots of different ways and yeah so I managed to film that but I also uh, before I had my surgery I also started tea and that was kind of what it was one of those things like you know when you start talking about trans stuff and you start like affirming one thing you know people then start talking to you about other things and you're like oh maybe like I never really thought about tea but I started taking it a few months or maybe five months before Jaya was born and it was had different you know methods whether it was like gels or you know shots and stuff and different you know effects and things like that and basically that like it was a, it was a emotional <laughs> emotionally tumultuous time that year in the lead up to birth and then after potentially because of the tea and and also kind of learning to deal with or learning learning to live with a different kind of emotionality and a, and a different emotional experience mm -hmm. that and testosterone affects people in different ways like for me like um I don't know sometimes it was like I think I think it affected like my postnatal I think I yeah had a, a serious bout of postnatal depression and yeah like trying to find help for that was pretty hard um, and I'm not on tea anymore and I think I'm happier being off tea but there's a lot of like I kind of waited back and forth a long time before I started tea because I was like well if I'm going to be a dad do I have to be on tea do I have to present a certain way to for, for you know Jaya to be seen to have a real dad and you know like it, it doesn't happen that often but like I mean I don't pass as, as much as I used to because I'm not on tea anymore but like like occasionally someone will call me mum or like something will happen and I'm like this is going to happen more and more and, it's, and also like you know Jaya's going to be calling me dad in public once I start speaking and you know we're going to hit you know we're already in daycare we're going to hit kindy we're going to hit school like you know there's all these institutions that overtly gender not just Jaya but us and, and what and what happens then to a trans parent and what happens then to the child of a trans parent parents will probably be looking for other trans parents to yeah see what they can be I'm so confident that when this episode comes out... I'm just going to meet heaps, heaps of people, right? Yeah, yeah great. <laughs> We're going to hear from a lot of people, for sure. Yeah. Support group. But yeah. also, like, launch party. Yeah. <laughs> One thing at a time. Aside from the personal changes and difficulties, right. structurally, yeah. how was that process? As a trans. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, like, the hospital was occasionally good about pronouns, or, you know, one day or another, like, whether people were reading me as female or male, or God knows what, but, like, it's just... I think a lot of the time you weren't even allowed to come into the appointments because of COVID because of restrictions, COVID. which was shit in itself, like... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once Jai was born... And I was in hospital. Oh, that's right. Like this thing happened where <laughs> Hannah was in labor for three days. Um, it was really exhausting. We got to hospital eventually and we were eventually admitted. And, you know, the entire time, like, I, like you know, like it's in our birth plan, our pronouns and stuff like that, but we're not, you know, I don't even know if they've really read it. Um, and then Jaya's born after many, many hours. And uh, the, you know, there's like 10 doctors in the room or whatever. It's a very full room. Um, and they're like, oh, you know, you've got a beautiful baby boy. And um, they were like, you know, he, you know, he's the exact image of both of you. Like, he's, you know, perfectly 
identical to both of you. And we, we both kind of looked at each other and we were like, okay, that's nice. <laughs> but uh, but it's a donut baby, just, just FYI. <laughs> and they all just looked at each other. <laughs> and they were really confused. And we were really confused about why they were confused. <laughs> and it turns out, I mean, like, obviously I must have been passing or something. Uh, but we didn't know that. And I think they were also put off that we had disclosed to them that it was a donor baby. Like, I think they were I, reading us as some het couple that yeah. had gone through IVF or something. Something. Yeah, yeah something. Yeah, they're like, why, why are they telling us this? Something <laughs> confusing was happening. And to me, it was also related to race. Like, I think I think with, with Jaya, you know, born and, like, his skin tone is very, very similar to my skin tone. And his eyes look like your eyes. And his eyes look like my eyes. Like, the donor and I don't actually look anything alike, but mm-hmm. somehow this child looks a lot like me. And, yeah, like, so people from day one till now assume that I'm the biological parent. And, and sometimes I pass. I pass more when I'm with Jaya, yeah. which is so interesting. <laughs> And, and it I is. think it's not what we expected would happen. Either. No, it's the opposite. Yeah. 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 It's funny, and I mean, like, it's it's not a bad thing. It's it's a nice thing, and it's one of those like nice trans surprises. You don't get a lot of those. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, like this, <laughs> my child is helping me pass more. It's crazy. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And the the stuff that we did encounter, like a few a few of them did ask for pronouns of well, like mm. what, what pronouns are using for Jai, you know, like and things like that, and. It was surprisingly good. Some of the royal women's was it? Great. Royal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a real mixed bag because they were very understaffed. But yeah, I remember we were having great chats with a couple of awesome nurses, midwives, who mm-hmm. were busy trying to bring my milk in. So they were sitting either side of me, squeezing my chest, trying to bring on milk, which was an incredibly painful experience. But through that, we were talking about the conception of our beautiful baby and like what a they were also shocked that this baby was donor conceived and we told them the story and they thought it was fascinating and they were really like lovely and supportive about it as well. Yeah. yeah. It's, been, yeah. it's been surprisingly okay. That's all you can hope for, isn't it? <laughs> surprisingly, surprisingly okay. okay. <laughs> wow. That's what the queers can hope for. It's a low bar. It's a low bar. But yeah. And obviously they've got a bit of way to go. Mm. Do you have any general advice for people thinking about starting a family um spend time with people who have young babies yeah um i have made it my mission and crusade after being pregnant and giving birth to be very uh honest with other people considering pregnancy and birth about what my experience was like personally because i went into it I kind of knew that people have quite awful pregnancies sometimes, but I really didn't think it would happen to me. And was kind of, I don't know, I drank the Kool-Aid of, like, pregnancy is a beautiful thing and it's so natural and you'll have a wonderful natural time. I don't know, like, I thought it would all be fine and it really wasn't and that was hard. I was sick for a really long time up until almost halfway through the pregnancy I had really awful morning sickness. Mm. It was really hard to work. It was really hard to rest. It was hard to do anything. And it was super isolating. And then I only had, like, I probably had, like, a good month in the middle before I started getting really awful pelvic pain. 
and then was, you know, eventually was into my third trimester, which was really hard. I was super pregnant with this awful pelvic pain and trying to care for shams as well and do a lot of the heavy lifting, which and and birth was a pretty shocking experience too. It was really, really hard. And so I've been my policy ever since been be very honest with people who ask you like in who actually are asking not who are like oh, you know asking passing but if they're like hey I'm considering having a baby what is it like yeah I'm very honest with them about the parts of it that have been not so peachy yeah. um, because I think it really contributes to people's postnatal depression and things like that when they have unrealistic expectations it definitely did for me I think it's also like a useful resource for queers who don't have the family support like who else would you ask mm. yeah like I I didn't know many other people who'd had babies none of my friends had had babies most of our friends are queer none of them had had babies like we just didn't know that many people um who'd been through the same and you know like your parents have been through it but that was so long ago and you know even now like some of my memories of that have faded a lot and like oh maybe we should have another baby Mm -hmm. and i don't and then i'm like no i can't do it again never again (laughs) yeah yeah time definitely makes it fade but you forget yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i don't know if i have advice i mean i think you know like i remember being just so clueless about any of the steps we had to take to make it happen and like you know the PMP group really helped me feel just some semblance of like okay this is these are the steps and this is what you have to do and whatever but like there's, there's so few of those groups and there's no one resourced and it but yeah like it's yeah it's like talking to other queer parents was some of my greatest knowledge sources <laughs> Um, you know, like I had a few, I was lucky to have a few colleagues who were like older than me who kind of were like, oh yeah, here's the books that we use. They were like, they're 10 years out of date, but you'll give you an idea and here's this and here's that. And yeah, like queer parents are just, queers who've done this, who've, you know, who've been donors and stuff are just so happy and willing to kind of just tell you everything (laughs) and kind of signpost you and stuff. Like as always, you know, queer community always trying to help each other out. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, like, I think we're deeply lucky to have the queer family that we do. Like, we've been quite intentional with, like, you know, asking people what kind of roles they want to have in Jaya's life. And Jaya has obviously, like, you know, a big queer crew and who are, like, very devoted. Listening to Queer Brood, a show about queer family. On today's show, we were speaking all things parenthood with Shamini and Hannah, parents of beautiful baby Jaya. We're now going to listen to a conversation between Shamini and Anya, a different Anya, not me. Anya is a fun uncle or funkle to baby Jaya. They talk about how their friendship has evolved with Anya's new role in baby Jaya's life, the importance of role models in chosen families, and forming safe spaces for their children to grow up in. 
Hi, my name is Anya. Um, I am a non-binary queer person um, and a very close friend of Shamini's. I'm Shamini. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode we're focusing on research and decision making, but also um, lots of different like types of queer families. So I just wanted to ask you, what does queer family mean to you? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I guess queer family, from my perspective, is thinking about family much more broadly than um, just kind of like a bio family, um, but also thinking like just generally what kinds of relationships you might have um, with a group of people. I guess it's more closely linked to like a broader community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like, so when you were growing up, what concepts of queer family existed or were around as kind of role models? Oh, there weren't any. There was nothing, (laughs) yes. Yeah, there were no no queer families um, that Mm. I was aware of. Um, As a queer kid growing up, um, there were very few queer role models at all, let alone um, clearly, like, um, like, there weren't any obviously queer families yeah like where I grew grew up in Perth um and uh, I don't know if it was different for people growing up in Melbourne and Sydney in the what was it I was growing up in like the um from like yeah from like the 90s um yeah there wasn't really it didn't seem like there was anyone in terms of queer um like queer identity in general let alone an actual family yeah I didn't know what that looked like yeah so when it came to I guess, like, thinking about, you know, your future or, like, the sort of family and community that might exist in your future, what what could you see? Like, what, what, what did you want? Um, I didn't really have any thoughts about it, to be honest. I was... I think that, um... I think that there was an idea in my head of, like, okay, I'm queer, that means I'm probably not going to have a family. Like, have, a, have my own family. And... Obviously, that's changed a lot, but I think that that has actually had a huge impact on the fact that I don't currently have my own bio family. Um, and also, I'm not that interested in it either. Um, so, yeah, I'm not interested in having my own biological family um, or, like, my own... It doesn't have to be biological, but, like, my own, like, group of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I take care of, yeah. You're not interested in, in, yeah, like... I'm not interested in having a kid with a romantic partner. Yeah, yeah. It's probably the most... Um, clear way of putting it yeah yeah Mm. um and yeah so that's never really changed for you from like when you were growing up till now like it's always kind of been how you felt about it I think it has changed over the years Mm. I think there was one of my relationships um there was a lot of conversation about having a kid together um but I kind of had never thought about it until that point and it was only really because that partner was interested in doing that, that I was like, oh, maybe I could reassess my priorities and I'd probably be quite good at it and um, all of these things. But I ended up not going down that path with that person and um, we're not together anymore. And um, the person I'm currently with already has a child um, and I'm very happy to not have a child with that person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about, um, like, you know, today. And so, you know, so you're currently part of... I say a couple of queer families. Um, so you're the funkle to my seven-month-old Jaya, um, and you're an odd parent to another friend's child. Um, and like further to that, you also have some other queer friends who are about to have kids soon, and you'll likely play some similar role, similar roles in their lives. 
Um, do you want to tell us a bit more um, about some of those friendships, firstly, and like, um, you know, these close friends, community members, or people you've known for a long time or a short time? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess maybe before I answer that question, I'll just say that, like, I never thought that I would be, I would have these kinds of relationships with children or families of close friends. Like, I feel like the last three years have changed a lot in terms of like suddenly a lot of people were having kids and I had never thought, I didn't think like five years ago, oh, well, when my friends have kids, I'll play this role in their kids' lives. Like I hadn't, I didn't think it through like that at all. Um, But then as some of my very close friends, like yourself and other friends started having children, I was like, oh, well, I obviously really want to be a part of those kids' lives because these people are really important to me. Um, and it just kind of has sort of happened organically. Um, it's not something that I kind of, it wasn't like a decision that I made. It was just something that just emerged as an opportunity. And because I also around the same time was thinking, I probably won't have my own kids. I like, this is actually a really great opportunity to be part of, um, you know, different children's lives and being like somewhat of a role model, but also a helper for um, my friends who are now parents yeah, and just to help them out with bringing these kids up and yeah. 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 What does it mean to you to be a role model to these kids and to, yeah, to help them kind of grow up? Um, well, they're all babies at the moment. <laughs> so I feel like it's not really proper role modeling. <laughs> it's mostly just being silly. Um, but I guess this is also interesting because, um, so with a friend of mine, um, who asked me through a letter to be her kid's odd parent. We had a Zoom call because they live about a few hours away from me to talk about what that even looks like and what kind of, you know, what capacity I have. Um, And um, basically it was like, oh, like it felt really nice to hear from people who were like, well, you're somebody who like, you know, whose values we really, um, you know, think are great. So we want a person like that to be in our kid's life. You know, speaking from my own experience of inviting you to be a fun call, I mean, I don't know if it was very formal, um, that invitation. But yeah, like, I think there was very much an importance for me to place, you know, all my close queer friends um, as having, like, a very specific role in my child's life because of, you know, like, our bio families tend to get kind of an automatic role and automatic kind of seat at that table and um it's you know never never super clear you know what your friend play Mm. yeah Yeah. that's interesting about the bio family because i have a niece but i don't really have much to do with her Mm. she lives on the other side of the country and i haven't really been involved in her life partly i think because i'm not very close to my sister Mm. who's had the kid um and so but i think that we had some conversations when um you know when jaya was on the way Mm. about how it might change our relationship the Mm. fact that you know there's going to be a kid in your life and priorities would shift and that sort of thing and i think that um for me i was like well if i want to continue to have like a strong relationship with you it's kind of like this kid is an extension of you and your partner and so like I kind of have to be a part of it in some way to be like continually have a strong relationship with you yeah that's interesting so it's it's like kind of part of the parcel (laughs) of the strong friendship yeah absolutely 
And so I'm just like trying to embed my way in. <laughs> mm. And what do you think it's like given the friendship? Has it added like a different dimension or like? Mm, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. <laughs> it's not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> what is it given the friendship? That's a hard one to answer. Mm. Like I think that it's been really, really wonderful watching you become a dad and like seeing the different ways that like you have this responsibility and like just seeing you being so like loving and caring to this kid and um I guess first few people in my life I'm close to who's become a parent and it's kind of amazing to watch like this sort of transformation like you still yourself but like you've shifted and just like watching that and being a part of that and being invited into that experience is really yeah it's been great. listening to Queer Brood, a show about queer family. As always, this show wouldn't be possible without our guests, who are so open and generous with their knowledge. So thank you, Sham, Hannah, and Anya. If this episode brought up anything you'd like to talk about, you can call Q Live on 1300-555-727 or visit their website at qlive.org.au, where you can connect via web chat with someone between 3pm and midnight. Finally, this episode concludes the Queer Brood series. Thank you once again to all our guests for trusting us with their stories, and thank you listeners for coming on this journey with us. We hope that these stories resonated with you as much as they resonated with us. If you want to share your story, or if you have any feedback about Queer Brood, you can find us on Instagram at queer.brood. That's at Q-U-E-E-R dot b-r-o-o-d we'd love to hear from you and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day queer brood is produced and presented by a group of queer and trans broadcasters from 3cr in melbourne with financial support from the city of Yara here in Nam. The theme music for Queer Brood is produced by Darcy O'Connell. Queer Brood programs can be downloaded from 3cr.org.au and listened to as podcasts on your favourite podcast app.